Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Portfolio manager Jeff Moore joins us in the program to talk about the bond market and what factors might affect this space in 2024. Jeff speaks to host Pamela Ritchie about inflation. He says inflation is falling and likely on the run. He adds with bond yields at 4% and real rates at 2%, these numbers haven't been as compelling since the 90s. But he says the bond market is basically at the same state as it was last year. There wasn't really a significant rally. You still are getting returns in the range of 6 to 10%, depending on the asset. Jeff says the strategy here would be to enjoy the current yields, diversify your portfolios, and avoid leverage. He advises to stay vigilant and responsive to changes in CPI. This podcast was recorded on January 9th, 2024. We seem to have inflation coming down, but the, you know, there's pieces of that story that don't fit perfectly. What are you looking at most closely? Yeah, we're we're in the uh, the sort of idea of keep it simple right now. We the inflation is falling, and we have sort of uh, and not just in, is it falling. Inflation is clearly on the run. If you look at the tips, the inflation protective market, their break evens for inflation are two percent. The bond market saying the Fed's one. And when you have uh, bond yields of 4% and inflation two, real rates at 2%, that's as compelling as any time since the 1990s. Let me ask you about that. Real rates at 2%. Is that too high? Uh, it's, it's high versus history. Real rates are usually the thing that slows economies, not inflation per se, but real rates. And so real rates at 2%, this, this is a pretty steamy spot for the inflation or for the real rate market. And I remember in 1991, 92, we had real rates touch 3%. They didn't stay there very long. And so it's unlikely that they're going to stay at this kind of level. Okay. So so give us the thesis. So, you know, we were talking about flows and how people were investing last year, lots of interest in bonds last year, as you well know. Tell us what would interrupt you in your mind, the interest that investors would have for this year. Is it is it grow? Is it the same? Is it less? We're at a very different point than we were at uh, January 2023. Well, yeah, we say we're at a different point, but you know that if you look at January 2023 yields for U.S. Treasuries and compare them to today, they're basically exactly the same. There's been no rally, and the bond market last year returned between, depending on what you own, between 6 and 10%. Hmm. So, and, and there was no rally in rates, and we still haven't had a rally in rates on a year-over-year basis. Just keep that in mind, okay? Okay, but will we? <laughs> we we really could. So great point. I, I think we really could. The question for the market, to get a rally here, we're just watching inflation data. And I think that's okay. what clients have to do. Every month, put the inflation data for the U.S. and Canada in your calendar and make sure you're watching. If you get inflation data that looks like it's rolling lower faster, which it very well could, especially of, of two things, owners of equipment rent and wages look like they're capped or falling, in either of those or both, you're looking at inflation numbers that are well, well below where we are today and could even be below that 2% threshold that central banks have set, which would be a big market move. So the way we're looking at it, enjoy the yields, just like last year, just have as much yield as you can put in your portfolio, diversify the heck out of it, and don't lever it, and you should be fine. And then if something changes in CPI, if it comes down, which I think it really could, and I'm watching these next two prints very closely, you could get a big rally in rates. And is it an everything rally? 
Yes. Once that happens. Yeah, yeah. It's it's another. It'd be like this fourth quarter of this year of last year. Right. Just the everything rally. Rates go down. Did you think about it? When when interest rates fall, the net present value of everything on earth goes up. Right. That's just yeah. that you know that discount rate from first year math in high school, exactly. and and that's how stocks are calculated on NPVs too. So this would be an everything rally if CPI comes in at these lower levels. Is it too late to get into bonds at this point, if you haven't? Well, this is the point, like, we, bonds haven't even moved on a year-over-year basis. They're right, exactly okay. where they were a year ago. So, um, in my personal view, no, they're where they were a year ago. And, you know, you'll be happy as a bond investor if they stay here. Because last year, we had a really, really strong year in the bond market. We're setting up to have another one in the bond market now. And that's without any rebound. Right. That's fascinating. So what? So that's, it sounds like the catalyst that either we're waiting for one way or the other. What, what about something like, you know, we'll talk about catalysts that make recessions happen or don't or, you know, hit you as a shock. Oil, for instance, we may be past those days, but we are watching the oil price. It's sort of coming down. It's got a few different stories to it. We might see it go back up. Well, we might. I look at oil prices and think that if the Middle East, if any any kind of you know, de-escalation happens uh, in the Middle East, oil prices might want to go down right. as much as they want to go up. So I think there's a sense that people think that, I think there's a sense that oil prices are just right waiting to go soaring higher. It may not be the case. It may be that, that they're at this level because of the, of the Middle East issues and concerns and the risks. And then if we get any kind of de-escalation, oil prices could fall further. Right. So tell, just take us through what you see if, okay, again, so CPI will do what it does. If we start to see the rate cuts, th this seems to be the question. So some will say that, you know, market participants got a bit greedy thinking there'd be six rate cuts, you know, in a year and that's a bit outrageous. And then they sort of bring it back to maybe three. Or where, where do you sit in this spectrum? Guide us through this discussion a little bit. Yeah. So I think in, in this, where we are right now is the Federal Reserve and even the Bank of Canada are happy to keep rates where they are for longer, just because the economy seems to be handling it and it allows you to have a little bit more control and it allows you more time just to make certain that you've beaten inflation back into the, the bottle, so to speak. Um, having said that, if some of these CPI prints are as light as I think they might be, and again, I can't prove it because these are survey data and we have some ideas, we run tons of simulations, all we can say is the possibility is not trivial that the next inflation print or two are much lower. Um, we even see Japan just came out with core, came out at right at 2%. Um, and the reason I'm saying that, Pamela, is that if, if you're a client here and you're thinking about catalysts, think about the central banks as well. Central banks' goal, especially the Federal Reserve, is price stability and, 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 and employment stability. Once you get price stability, and if it looks like you've overshot the mark, well, you have room to maneuver and, and there's no way, if you're this Fed, that you want to look like you're going to be over-tightening and hurting employment if there's no inflation. So my instinct would be that the market's ahead of itself, sure, on the rate cuts, but the directionality is right. Okay. So now, so I want to come back to the job market in a second, but I wonder if you can compare or contrast Canada and the U.S. Because obviously, so you're saying the Fed, also the Bank of Canada, kind of like rates where they are. If it can be sustained, why not? Just to make sure that inflation really is going in the right direction. But they're quite different countries in terms of their debt profiles, and this is sort of the personal debt of, of Canadians, bring this to the to the fore for us, the, the Bank of Canada versus the Fed, who who might need to move first? Yeah, so my instinct would be the Bank of Canada would move first if, if something looks like it's going to break. 
Um, and that's just because of like housing prices, especially housing prices in like a handful of the biggest MSAs like Toronto, Vancouver, they're, they're out of sight, but even in Calgary and you, you think about the different cities that with housing prices and, and cost of debt refinance being a burden, you can imagine the bank camp feels like it would have to move first. The Federal Reserve will have flexibility to move if it has to. So far, the U.S. economy seems like it's okay. There's a few sectors that probably are looking like they might have a recession coming. But in general, most sectors in the U.S. economy look like they're just slowing down. And so the Fed has room and time on its side. But you have to realize that the Fed's other box is it's got a big election coming up. Okay. And this one will you be said contentious. it, not me. I just want to put that out there. Yeah, okay. Tell us about this. All right. So this, this will be contentious. And, 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 well, all U.S. elections seem contentious, even though sure. at the end, you know, it seems like whoever wins will get 52%, the other one will get 48% um, of the vote. But this will be contentious. And so if you're the Federal Reserve, you kind of don't want to be cutting rates into the election. So if you're thinking the election is November and you back up to October, September, it, to my mind, this is, and this is why I think the market was so aggressive on rate cuts early for this year for the Fed, is that the market's sort of guessing that the Fed will want to cut at some point this year and they won't want to get messed, you know, embroiled in the election. So they're going to go earlier, not later. Okay. I have a lot of sympathy for that thought process. So don't sleep on that either. Okay. Okay. What's that mean? Don't sleep on that either. Like if you're, if you're going to invest and you want the, the rate cuts, like just get in there sooner. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Like, and, and so if you're in the bond market's going to like that a lot, the, the money markets won't like that because obviously your cash and overnight and GICs will fall in yield and they'll have less coming uh, in the U.S. In Canada, it's the same way. You, you can imagine the Bank Canada cutting and making money markets a tougher sell. In fact, one of the stories of last 12 months is that bonds handily outperform money markets and cash. It didn't look like it, right? It didn't look like it, but it's one of those things like it was like a coiled spring and the bond market just had to do well. And, and when you think about it conceptually, if you're the central bank, the one thing you don't want people to be able to do is hang out in money markets. Why? Because you want them to be moving out the curve, deploying their capital into things that are going to be productivity enhancing for the economy. So whether you're the Bank of Canada or the Fed chair and the old Fed chair, uh, Chair Yellen, who's now Secretary Yellen, she was really clear about that. She always wanted money markets to trade at a, a below inflation because what? she didn't want anybody staying there as an investment. One thing for liquidity and cash. Sorry. Yeah, because it's sort of like stuffing it into your mattress in the sense of it's not going into the economy itself in that way. So the massive, let's get into sort of, you, you'll hear these two arguments on, you know, the inflation where it's going. You, you've pretty much outlined it, but I would like you to set us straight on this whole COVID was a, a crater in the economy. Obviously, fiscal and monetary was stimulus was fired at it. They've soaked it up and that's that and it's transitory or this sort of the world is just more inflationary. We have maybe a different political chessboard and maybe an energy transition will be inflationary. Hard to know. It's sort of the continuing inflation story versus the, versus the transitory. I am interested in your thoughts on that and sort of pricing that has changed throughout COVID. Does that stay high for a long time? It's kind of an interesting piece of it all. Yeah. So COVID and the, the response to COVID by not just the U.S. and Canada, but around the world was extraordinarily aggressive, whether it was central bankers cutting rates to zero places like the U.S. doing massive quantitative easing, and then places like U.S. and Canada throwing massive amounts of money, almost reckless amounts of fiscal money at everything. And at first, you know, we were all scared, so I got it. But as time's gone on, 
this this um, this mountain of liquidity that went into the economy definitely had you know a repercussion that was inflation as time's going on now and we start resetting interest rates higher the us is cutting back on its qe and trying to do some qt not there yet um and as central uh, government as governments around the world are going to have to start wrestling with who pays back these deficits and debt right. Um, Who does pay can, back these deficits and debt? Let's just uh, ask that. Question. It's you know what it's going to be taxes because it's hard to cut spending once you've given something to someone. You know people hate you when you take it away, and so if you're a, a government, a, 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 a politician, the, the path of least resistance, even though there's resistance, is probably future taxes. And regardless I think that's of who wins the election in the U.S., I think uh, regardless, like I think if one party wins, there's higher taxes, but. Uh, if another party wins, I think the, the box is still tight and they're both going to need higher taxes down the road. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So again, how do we invest for that? I mean, if that's, yeah. If so, that's true, yeah. So in that world, it, it, to me, it feels suspiciously like this, the COVID and the response function to COVID was the reason we had inflation and the Federal Reserve, um, uh, I think, kind of believes it. And that's why they called it transitory. Having said that, the one outcome all this, Pamela, even though we're going to talk about inflation falling and potentially having a one handle on it at some point in the next few months, um, that's still, the price level has still gone up 30%. Right. Right. So we've locked in all of these higher prices for everything. So inflation is just a change month over month from here. But it doesn't mean, unless we get deflation, you're not actually going to cut into that COVID price level spike. So there were enormous gains. If you were a homeowner in Canada or the United States, you've watched your home value explode. You may not go up anymore from here, but you're probably going to lock in versus where you were in 2018, 19. And I think that extra cost is going to be a huge question mark because people have to pay for that. You want to buy that house from someone like you or me, the new person, probably a young family, is going to have to pay the higher prices, even if the prices aren't going up from here. They're going to have to pay that price jump that we saw. Do you think ultimately, if you're sitting in a 60-40, I mean, what does what the 60-40 look like? This is, this is not necessarily what you're doing. You're not constructing the portfolios for everyone in that sense. But, you know, at one point last year, it looked like maybe you'd pull ahead. The 60 would be more the fixed income side and the 40. I'm just kind of curious how you're seeing things right now. Is, it, is, it, is there a classic sense to I'm, invest I'm, I'm never, right I'm, now? I've never been a big 60-40 fan in terms of things. Having said that, uh, it makes sense to, to me that if you think stocks have done really well, you might want to make sure you have some powder dry to buy them, buy them when they cheapen. And the nice place to wait, especially if we're right about anything on the inflation side and so forth, the nice place to wait will be the bond market. And you'll have to figure out what part of the bond market, whether you want to go to high yield, you can still get on 10% yield in bank loans. Or do you want to just be in governments where you get that 3 to 5% number? But it's a good place to hide out. And then if there's a drawdown of stocks, you have an obvious asset allocation. And along the way, I like the bond market's chances here uh, because we should have, we have high enough real rates already. And we should see some continued easing on the inflation side. Okay. Interesting. So when when you're looking at sort of the job markets, the wage piece or component of what we've been talking about are the are the jobs numbers that come in. So we saw the ones for December. They were what they were. And actually, I don't think we're going to have another one in the U.S. until after the Fed makes its next decision. Is that right? So that yes. the, what we got already is it in terms of the jobs yes. numbers that they're going to be working with. 
Are these useful to what you're looking for right now? You've been talking about CPI being really the key. What, what is the key of the jobs market report? Well, we do know that jobs market can be market moving and can drive rates around. If you look at some of the data, though, whether it's uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics jobs numbers or even the JOLTS data, which is private, yeah, there are so many seasonal adjustments and last month adjustments because it's really difficult. Like the JOLTS data, for instance, is one that we like to sort of look at and say, okay, that's done by the private sector. And yet a lot of times the responses, the number of responses to JOLTS can be very low. And so you're not really sure what you're seeing. So the way I look at the jobs data, is like a crooked yardstick. We're using it over a long period of time. And the yardstick's always been crooked and still crooked. But don't get too hung up on any of the one, like the data pieces. You almost have to look at the raw data and make a question. Like last, the, the last data point we had on jobs in the U.S., we had a massive increase in jobs from government. Now, the question is, that sounds okay, but we know governments can't create wealth. They can create the conditions for wealth generation, but they can't create it. So most of us aren't super excited when you think that most of the job creation is coming in the government sector. You'd rather see it in the private sector. Those are the kind of things we'll be watching for on that. I think look at ISM, which is ISM okay. is um, basically services. And, and look at the prices paid data, because sometimes that gives you a sense. Are companies able to pass through their costs onto right. the consumer and, to, and so forth? And that data has been weakening, which is to say company after company is finding it a little harder to pass through their costs right now. So that should help which, bring inflation down too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and if you're a company, if you can't pass costs through, then you start, start thinking about reorganizing, restructuring, and that often leads to rifts and layoffs. And let me ask you about issuance. And because you mentioned government jobs there and, you know, maybe growth in that because of some of the, the stimulus that we've seen. Where, what are you seeing in terms of issuance? I mean, it's for small companies at these rates, we know the story. It's harder to refinance at these at these levels. Even for big companies, it makes a difference. Everywhere in between. The government has taken over some of that. They've done their own issuance. There are lots of questions about who's going to mop that up and who's going to buy it and so on. But talk to us a bit about issuance, what you're seeing, what you, what you expect to see in this potentially rate-cutting environment we're going into? I, I think, Pamela, you've hit something that's critically important for clients. And that's that if, if you think about the last few weeks, the bond market is wide open. If your company is investment grade, you're in Europe, even if you're in high yield to a certain extent, you're, you're getting your ghetto jail-free jail card right now. You're terming out your debt. You're moving your debt maturity wall. That's the thing you might default to someday. You're moving that out as we speak. The bond market's wide open for issuance. And so... If you're thinking about like high yield, which has had some issuance, not not as much, but mostly because companies don't want to come. And I would argue that high yield borrowers um, are being smart because they know that lenders like us are desperate to, to lend and use some of the cash and reinvest some of the cash we're getting every day from these high yields. Um, the bond market's wide open. So I would say if you're someone who's saying, I think there's a big default crisis coming, I think you can say that, but not this year now. You have to now say, it, as the weeks go on here, it's now a 2026 event. You can't, because there won't be anything to default to. Now, someone who issues debt at these higher levels may have an earnings per share issue, which is to say costs are going to go up, but that's not default. That just means you're going to have less left over for shareholders. When you look at the U.S. versus Canada, we'll go back to the government spending just for a minute. What's it called? The IRA? It's... um. It seems like a weird name for it. Anyway, the green spending bill in the U.S. When you it's look at interest reduction, inflation, what's it called? Yeah. 
Inflation Reduction Act? In, there we go. Inflation okay. Reduction Act. Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. yeah, it seems yeah. wrong. But anyway, when you look at what is being done there and there's intentions and then what's actually being borrowed to put to actual projects and so on, how do you compare Canada and the U.S. on that front? Canada talks a good game, then it gets criticized for not doing it. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I'm just curious, like in terms of big projects being funded in this general vein, what do you see? Is, is money happening for these projects? So um, when, I, when I first started my career, this is like a long, long time ago, I had a job as an intern and I had a chance to run into the Minister of Finance. This is in Government of Canada. And he was on the elevator and going down. He was going Wait, to- Wait, was it Michael Wilson? Was it Michael Wilson? Who was yeah. it? Actually, Don Mazenkowski. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Sure. Yeah. So, and I, I, again, I was just new. He was just happening on the elevator. He was going to, to give his budget. And he, he uh, looked at me and I said, oh, good luck today. And he goes, well, he said, you know, the key thing in life is if you don't have a, a lot to put in your budget, make it look good. Right. And so he had a really pretty budget. And, and so I think that's the Inflation Reduction Act. It, 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 it's, it's kind of toothless. And so you make it sound good. And that's kind of what I look at it. There's definitely um, some important ideas in there. Um, but if you think about just sort of green and, and things like support for the auto industry, those are really important uh, political as well. That even, if you, even if there weren't great green initiatives, there's probably great political reasons um, to make sure that the UAW is satisfied, especially if you're one of the parties, right? So you can imagine that we've done a lot of these things that they may not turn into GDP, but they won't probably hurt us long-term uh, other than the debt level will be a little higher than it would otherwise be. It's not pretty, but I think this is how big countries, Canada, US, they do things that way. They've done it this way for a long time and I don't get too bent out of shape either way about them. Yeah, okay, interesting. Anything to say, sometimes we talk to your colleague Shritella about the provinces in Canada. I'm just curious, again, across sort of the country itself, any anything interesting in terms of investment by you? Yeah, so, um, we, you know, in terms of Canada, you know, we think Canada looks looks fine overall. I think that, you know, the debt levels of, of households are at that point where there's a chunk, that the tail chunk that uh, are feeling uncomfortable right now. And any kind of job losses would be very difficult on that group. Um, having said that, so far the economy continues to tick along. And I think the Bank of Canada has enough flexibility to be, you know, master its own destiny, so to speak. Having said that, you know, the currency is something they're going to want to take into account. And the Canadian dollar has not done as well as you would think it should have done, given some of the outcomes in the last, like, three or four months with U.S. rates. And part of that is I think the market sees that the Fed, the bank can may need to cut rates at some point, and that could come at the cost of the Canadian dollar. Yeah, and, um, you know, there's always that question of why there's a, a rate cut. And... It sounds like what we've discussed in terms of the U.S. is mostly that they're just too high. The economy doesn't need it. Inflation is coming down. Whereas in Canada, I don't know to what extent you feel it's because they must cut because the economy is hurting. I, I, where is that yeah. line between the two? That's, and that's always a question for clients, right? Uh, again, so rate cuts, given how our portfolios are set up, are great because we have a lot of cash and tre- or a lot of treasuries and duration in there. Having said that, um, rate cuts... Um, that are because the economy is rolling over and too many sectors are in recession, that could be painful for some part of the risk assets. Okay. We haven't seen that. If you, like the everything rally that we just saw and the one that we just talked about, Pamela, that could happen, that's predicated on the, 
on on a slowdown, a slowing economy, not a recessionary economy. Just right. a slowing economy, that's all good for that group. And I think the central banks now have a little bit more leeway than maybe clients think to take control of that destiny. And so don't bet against it at this stage, but leave yourself some flexibility just in case, you know, who knows what could happen. And and just broad, just quickly, regionally, when you go around the world, you've spoken about Fortress North America a lot. I think I think yeah. we know some of your views on China, maybe maybe not great right now from a debt perspective. What about the rest of the world, though? Is there anything of interest? Yeah, so around the world, I, I, again, Fortress North America, I like Canada, U.S., Mexico, Brazil is a convergent story. Um, Mexico and Brazil are eating China's lunch, uh, and China's got a bevy of issues that are monstrous, whether it's not just the, the, the debt they have, the real estate debt they have, but even how local governments in China are funded, monstrous issue. I think China is one of these difficult, like that you go in there and you're with your peril. Um, I think Japan is one of those ones wait on Japan here. The central bank got a new governor, the bank Japan, the governor wants to sort of start the normalization, but it's been forever um, that Japan's had yield curve controls. They're, the market's not really ready for it. So, for, as client, I, I really don't see an easy win to be in the bond market in Japan. Um, and I'd just be cautious unless you have some insight that I don't have there. And then Europe, I'm okay with Europe at this stage. I think uh, ECB, President Lagarde, uh, I think she is ready to cut rates, doesn't want to, thinks that there's some latent inflation out there. But you think about even Germany, our biggest economy. Germany's flat on its back because it exports to China, yeah. right? And if you can't get comfortable with where China is, Germany's just going to have more headwinds than you think. So, again, that's that's a place where I think you're okay to hide out there. I think interest rates will be fine there uh, overall, like you know, you know, plus minus, and a chance that she cuts rates, which could be positive. So we still have a nice allocation to global. Uh, that you know, these are developed countries, and then hedging it back to U.S. dollars. There's a question here about you know, is it is it time to, or how do you look at allocating away from from tips? You know, is this the time? So yeah, tips are have been troublesome if you think about it. So think about in Canada, we don't have a real return option anymore. That was canceled by the, the Department of Finance. And so the, the inflation protected market now is down to basically US, the US and the Brits, right? Um, so the Canadians are gone, the, the Japanese are gone. So those are the two, like those other markets. And the reason I think that matters is inflation protected bonds in the US have not done that well. They've been okay. But they, if you think about it, go back three years ago and you'd owned inflation-protected bonds, you think you would have like, nutted it. You would have said, I got this right. And you know what? You haven't made any, you've lost as much money as the nominal market. That's brutal performance right. isn't, for investors. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, I think you buy the inflation-protected market in the U.S. when it's extraordinarily cheap and not before. So okay. to me, that means when CPI has a one handle on it, I'm more interested. Fascinating. Okay, final thoughts for investors, bond investors, either those that have been with it through last year and, and are looking to stick with it or those that haven't been there yet. Just a final thought, Jeff Moore. Yeah, so I think that the big thing here is that the bond market has lots of yield. We had the same amount of yield as last year, but we've moved a long way along in getting through that COVID bubble, if you want to look at it like that. And so that's supportive. You still are going to have higher rate volatility than we're used to in the past, in the last 10, 20 years. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. High rate volatility can actually turn out very well for clients. Okay, brilliant. It's great to see you. Thank you. Happy New Year. And uh, we'll, we'll speak again soon, I hope. Okay, thank you, Pamela. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pamela Ritchie.
Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments.